Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is, is a Soul Fire, Fire production. production. Hello. We're together. Ah. Together again. What's yeah. that? Uh, the one from um there's so oh oh no never mind <laughs> delete that delete um so i haven't seen you live since wait i left oh this. we got a glaze okay let's just let's just don't do that yet wait till five o'clock happens so this is the coolest thing this yeah. is the high-tech studio yeah in dr sue's living in dr sue's <laughs> living room i don't think anybody's seen your living room yet <laughs> no, all they've seen is my daughter's painting. And, and That's hope. so funny. And hope. Oh my God. Hello. So it's the first time we're actually together mm -hmm. since we did that little tiny blip on hope. Yeah. We drinking tea. Yeah. Since I drove away from you in, in the, in the uh, Redwoods. Hey, everybody. We're here. Look at you jumping on, all you people. Emily, hi. Hi, hi. Oh, everybody's got nicknames. I don't know what their nicknames are. Happy Day Doula, Drayton Doula. We're not going to be able to be paying attention too much. I can't read and talk at the same time. <laughs> you know, dudes, <sighs> one thing at a time, one thing at a time. Mm. Together again. Yeah. I was thinking of Princess Bride when they say, true love. But I was, Ooh, thinking, yeah. I was thinking of together, and I was like, no, no. I'm mixing up. No. <laughs> No, so hi. Hi. I, well, I just I just made it here mm -hmm. for this live. I know. I was uh, I was two hours north in Tehachapi, California, for a um, Primip breach mom. Tehachapi. Who delivered very conveniently at one eighteen this afternoon, and I was able to <laughs> wrap it up. We had two midwives there, so I was able to leave in time to make the two hour drive back down. Wow. Showed up here 20 minutes ago. You got here like 10 minutes ago. And <laughs> Peed. We got our high-tech studio going on here. So we got three cameras because we're on Instagram Live for Bliss and we're on Instagram Live for me. And we're also on Zoom for our podcast yes. somewhere in January. So those of you who are listening to the podcast of this, we recorded it a month ago, but that's okay. You're going to have fun anyways. Hi, everybody. Hi, hi. So what are we doing today? Today, what are we doing today? Well, today <laughs> we're we, answering questions. We're answering questions because we solicited questions and you guys responded and we got a lot of questions. Got a lot of great questions. And we're going to try to get through them. We only have like one hour exactly, right? Is that right? With yeah. the Instagram Live? Yep. Yep. So we have one hour and we're going to do some of the questions are very short answers and some are a little longer and some we're going to postpone because we've already done them or we're going to do them at another time. Right? Yeah. Well, right. let's just do a little catch up. You did a birth today. What else? How's well, life? Um, well, life is okay. It's okay. The weather's the speak? weather's the weather's changing. It's kind of nice because it rained. Well, no, it's gotten colder, and it's mm -hmm. supposed to rain tomorrow. Yeah, big time. Um, yeah, so well, what do we talk about the weather? The Kings are playing very bad hockey lately. Oh, I'm sorry. I know. So are the Vikings. They they continue to never disappoint me by disappointing me constantly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what's my secret to happiness? I don't know. Yeah, you do. 
<laughs> yeah, you do. No expectations. That's right. right. You have to remember these things. You have to remember <laughs> these things. That's when you because it, someday I'm not going to remember anything. <laughs> We're a bad partnership for that. Oh my god. Um. Hi. I know it's fun to see us physically together, isn't it? We're mm-hmm. enjoying it too, as you can tell in our yeah. Business. We're not in Bliss's kitchen. Or hope. Or hope, or, your, or in front of your fireplace. We don't have a fireplace. No, I don't have a fireplace. Or tea. I'm on a budget. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saving money so I can get away next year. Um, but what are we doing tomorrow? Tomorrow's very exciting. Yeah. We are going to dinner. Yeah, so exciting. What, what else? Oh, what are we doing after that? Yeah. Barring a birth, as I always say, for me, not for you, yeah. uh, we are going to see Hamilton. Yeah. Because what's exciting is that one of the actors in Hamilton, mm-hmm. can, we, Carvin. can we mention? Okay, we can mention Carvin's plays George Washington. That's right. And Bliss uh, was there to catch his baby. Well, I, oh, no. yeah, it was their midwife. Yeah. 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 Did I say it wrong? No, you said it exactly right. Okay. But you know why I was thinking that? Because you said the weather. And I, this is a funny oh, story. Tomorrow, not right? gonna, I'm not going to take too long of your time, but this is a funny story. Okay. So I went in Hope. I went on a ride. I came back here. I don't know where my boots are. So the only thing that I have to wear tomorrow on my feet are, are flip-flops? flip-flops or rain boots. <laughs> so I went to DSW yesterday to find some like black boots, you know, whatever. And what I found was red suede flip-flops. flip-flops. That's what I have on today. <laughs> red suede boots for tomorrow, which are really cute. But if it rains, gonna rain on my per- so if parade. you have red suede should i wear blue suede shoes then oh yeah you got some no oh never mind i have brown suede shoes <laughs> I'll, wear, I'll wear my brown suede shoes so i am in la but only for a couple weeks don't get too excited uh Aww. yeah but it's fun the universe said Stu and i should be sitting on his couch talking to you guys so Put your questions in uh, either one of our feeds if you'd like. We're going to focus on these because we got a lot of questions that you guys did ahead of time. But if there's a natural break, we'll kind of check in. uh, Someone said they love your shirt. And someone told me to waterproof my boots. Yeah. I don't have time. but Well, I'm I'm wearing this shirt today only because the drive to to Hatchapi and back, I had so much time to listen to podcasts that I'm like, really fired up. Although I did listen to our podcast that came out today. Yeah. And I know, and that was a touching yeah, one, of yeah, course. Yeah. If you haven't listened to it already, please listen to it. Yeah, since we're live, go and listen to today's podcast. It's about- Not now though. No, stay with us. Yeah. It's about grief. It's about grief. Mm-hmm. And then I also listened to, we got the preview for next week's podcast too. Great. Right. I, which, I which recorded- We talked about twins in that one. We did a whole bunch of letters and then we talked about it's shocking that we would talk about twins. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I did. I recorded a podcast with Nathan Riley this morning. I know you did, and I'm on his schedule for next week. Yeah, so that's going to be fun. You know, because- I just. By the way, I just. Listen, I want to. I want to give a shout out to him real quickly. I listened to. He has a two hour podcast. It's called a solo, it's solo cast. It's just him. I listened to it too. talking for two hours, and parts of it are so eloquent and so he's so good, just talking. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, you were with him today. So was it as smooth and stuff that today or was it just? No, it was beautiful. Yeah. We had a great conversation. So I hope you guys will listen. To yeah. That. And his pos- he's, it's, he's what's really it called? Great. It's called holistic. OBGYN. No, I think it is. It, I thought it was some other name. Nathan Riley. Check him well, out. yeah, you'll find him on the podcast. Yeah, we'll we'll put a link when this one goes up, but you should try to find him. It's the holistic 
oh, it's, it's got a, it's a name. It's a natural name. It's like a, it's got a it's, name. It's a, it's a foo-foo name like uh, Nathan. Okay, okay. Okay, so we're going to get to it. Thoughts on suctioning a baby. Okay. We'll no. <laughs> yeah, we got there that question. There you go. Happy day doing the answer do to that it. is no, don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. Um, so Stu said I'm in charge. Yeah, we've got about 30 questions that people sent us, and we're going to try to do a rapid fire hour. Right? We're going to try yeah. to go through them. Some of them are really short answers. Some will get in. But and then some that have longer answers, we're going to read the question maybe and then talk about how that's too long an answer for today and we'll get into it another time. But we want to acknowledge all of you who sent in these questions Thank because it's really great. That and you it gives that. us so much feedback to let us know what's going on. Don't look at that. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. A little dating message came up. Anyways, um, so next time we She's record. So blind. She doesn't get it. Next time we record, it's going to be uh, about VBACs because we got a bunch of questions about VBACs and we love VBACs. So our next episode that we're going to record, it's going to be about VBACs. So we won't be talking about VBACs today. It is about VBACs? Yeah, but make sure I'm, I'm in charge today, remember? Yes, okay. okay, all right. That's what we're doing. Okay, so um, here we go. That one's too long. Um, well, you can read the question. No. no, okay. Can all, charge. Can all variations hard for me to advocate? Can all variations of breach be delivered vaginally? Okay, so the answer so the key to that is can they or should they? This person asked, can yes, they all can, but some of them are accidental. You shouldn't probably be delivering footling breach um, vaginally, but occasionally a, a preemie will come in footling breach and she'll be far enough dilated that that you, you will deliver them vaginally. Mm -hmm. from, from your standards, footling, no. Yeah, my standards are, are frank breach or complete breach or even incomplete breach. As long as, again, there's no cord that's presenting down by the butt, which would be called a funic presentation. Um, those are the standard ones that we recommend you deliver there. But any breach can be delivered vaginally, sometimes, by, like I said, by accident. Yeah. So, but on purpose, if you're fun. planning a breach, if you're doing a planned breach delivery, you should be frank breach or complete breach or even incomplete breach, and it should be termed. Okay. okay. And what is one piece of advice you would give to a woman trying to deliver breach? Find somebody who's skilled to do it. And have the right mental stuff. Don't, yeah, and don't force somebody who's not skilled to do it. I mean, uh, you, uh, you have the right to refuse to have a C-section. And by all means, you should probably execute that right, but not putting somebody who doesn't know what they're doing into a bad situation for them. So you have to seek out a skilled practitioner, and that may mean traveling, driving, going to a hospital that's 50 miles away, doing whatever you have to do to find it. But the, 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 the skill of the practitioner is probably the most important factor. Okay. Right. Okay. I'm not going to speak about that because Stu is uh, the, the in-house expert about breach. So I'll just leave that one to you. Uh, typically, how concerned are you guys with your client's nutritional intake? Do you counsel supplements, water, intake, exercise? Or are you mostly concerned with giving your clients the safety they want without trying to change anything about their lifestyle? I'm going to let you start with that and then I'll well, just wrap it yeah, up. Yeah, you're, you're, you're going to be more <laughs> efficient to be talking about lifestyle changes and nutritional changes, because that is a midwifery thing, which was never, it's not really in the OB model much more than here, take your vitamins and uh, 
and uh, don't need a lot of salt. <laughs> yeah. Do you still counsel that way? No, of course not. No. No, of course not. Okay. I think both are. I think both are. She says, do we, do we, do we, um, we talk about lifestyle changes, nutritional changes, and we also talk about letting clients. Water intake, exercise. Oh, and we don't, yeah, we don't, we, we definitely talk about changing their lifestyle. We do. Mm-hmm. We can't always, you know, you can lead a horse to water, mm-hmm. can't make them drink. So we talk about increasing their exercise. Some women just aren't going to do that. We talk about eating more frequently. Some women are just, they, they will be skipping meals all the time. And you'll ask them at the appointment, they'll, they'll get sheepish and they'll say, eh, I forgot to eat my breakfast or whatever. It's like, you can't be forgetting to eat your breakfast. You need to eat, you need to feed the train all the, all the time. You need to keep feeding it. So we talk about all these things. Mm-hmm. And because I work with midwives and I have midwife students, sometimes I, that question, and then my student will take over. My senior student will take over and talk about things because I have gleaned some expertise on this subject about nutrition and other things, but I'm have to be honest with you, I had very little training, if any, in medical school or residency. And we talked about that on the podcast before. Yeah. That we don't get any real good training in, in breastfeeding or nutrition. Yeah. So you take it away. I think it's very individualized. And I think it's very important to individualize your care depending on who you're working with. Um, by the second visit, for me, I'm always doing a diet diary. So I want to see how they're eating currently. And then be able to maybe make some adjustments and guidance directly regarding what's happening in a pregnancy. Some people are really open, really interested, want to dive in. Some people come with a ton of nutritional information already. And then some people really need it because they're um, they're bordering on gestational diabetes, um, preeclampsia, something like that, where if they don't pay attention, blood pressure if they don't pay attention to how they're caring for their bodies, they're not going to be able to have their desired outcome of having an out-of-hospital delivery. So um, I'm always interested in giving people information if they're open to it, but I don't think everybody has to adhere to a particular way of eating or doing things in order to have a baby. So I'm going to make recommendations on what I think is, is good for people overall. Like we all should be walking outside 30 minutes a day. I think it's good for everybody. So I'm integrating those into my conversations um, and talking about why it might be good specifically in pregnancy, but I'm not really pushing it unless I feel like this is going to jeopardize them being able to have an out of hospital delivery. Yeah. You don't want to dump on extra pressure on somebody or anxiety if it makes them feel guilty about not doing it. But, and also I, 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 I do talk about supplements. Mm-hmm. Did you mention that? Because I, I didn't. Yeah. Because so, I'm not a huge supplement person unless unless there's something specific that I'm Well, using. most people are vitamin D deficient. So mm-hmm. I think it's pretty pretty important. And even in, and especially in this time of uh, the virus everywhere, every, everybody should be taking pretty decent doses of vitamin D. Do you want to, by the way, name the person who asked these questions? We... Nah. No? Okay. Yeah. Okay. She's in charge. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anything else you want to say on that note? No, okay. I mean, we cover, we, we try to give women as healthy a, uh, start and right during their pregnancy as we can. And sometimes that means not pushing them. Yeah. Like guiding them gently from where they're at to help them expand taking good care of themselves. If that's a conversation they're open to, um, what are legitimate reasons for a C-section with a laughing emoji 
Oh, did I put No, oh, there's oh, actually. She did, yeah. right. <laughs> well, there are. And if you, if I don't trust the World Health Organization as far as I can throw them, but if you look at the numbers that they recommend, it's between 10 and 15%. And I so, say five. So she says five, but that means five out of every hundred women should have a C-section. So what are the, what are the indications for that? Um, fetal distress, obviously. That's probably the biggest one. Um, but is that, is, you know, a lot of fetal distress is iatrogenically caused. That's right. why it's 30, 40% in the hospital and 5% in the, in the home setting. Right. Um, transverse lie, a funic presentation, placenta previa, um, a fetal abruption. Oh, that would be, that would lead to fetal distress, I guess, a placental abruption. Um, Uncontrolled preeclampsia? No. Oh. No. Preeclampsia is actually ideally with preeclampsia, you do not want to do a C section. No, but you want to deliver them. Right. With severe preeclampsia, yes. you're worried about their platelet count, you're worried about hemorrhaging, you're worried about DIC, uh, that's disseminating your vascular coagulopathy or coagulation. Mm -hmm. So um, you want to try to avoid that. It's yeah. a reason to get them delivered, but yes. not necessarily C section. That's yes, my mistake. Um, you know, in the real world, anything, you know, triplets, quadruplets, Pretty rare stuff, but nonetheless, I mean, I, I and a couple other people I know in the country have done triplets vaginally. I would love to try to do triplets vaginally at home, but I think that that would be pushing the envelope a little bit too much. Um, I'm sure I'm missing some oh, fetal anomalies Where? that are well that are not amenable to passing through the vagina, like a large meningomyelocele or a, a, hydro, a hydrocephalus. Um, abdominal wall defect, gastroschisis, and follow seal. So I'm sure I'm missing some, but those are some of the, 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 ma the major things that I can think of. Yeah. Great. Um, are we done with this one? Yeah. I like this. Um, let's see. I want to let the cat will play with it. Right. How safe is it to do a home birth after the age of 36? <laughs> Chad loves that stuff. Um, how safe is it to do a home birth after the age of 36? Well, it's as safe at the age of 36 as it is age 26. Yeah. Or 16. Yeah. For that matter. Yeah. Age, age to me, I'm not sure why doctors say this because I've heard this before that doctors say if you're over 35, that's high risk and you shouldn't be doing these things at home. It, that's crazy. That's crazy. So there should be no age limit on doing a home birth. It should be informed consent as always. But are there any specific risks to a 36-year-old that you don't have in a 34-year-old? The answer is no. no. If you're healthy, you're a healthy person, doesn't matter what age you are, that's really the candidate uh, for a good, for an out-of-hospital delivery. Yeah, it's not like your uterus is going to malfunction more or your placenta is going to age and just quit on you or that because you're older, you're more likely to develop diabetes or hypertension. Well, yeah, that may, that may be, but it's not a significant number. And it's certainly, again, in my practice, that's not even a reason to not, I think we have a question about diabetes and, and home birth, but um, it's not even a reason to not even get to, 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 to not, it's a reason not, you should not rule out home birth. I, I want to make sure I get that out correctly, just because you have hypertension and diabetes. Yeah, you actually probably do better with a midwife or with holistic care so that you can do preventative care and have someone who's actually looking at you as an individual um, that can help you stay healthy and be able to have the potential of having a home birth rather than not. 
So I would say start. Yeah. So when, when you hear somebody say that to you about that's a that's a red flag. That's a warning sign. That's a that's a get out of town. When they tell you because you're 35 or older that that you're high risk. Yeah, like a red flag. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Maybe you should be seeking another practitioner if that's their their thought process. Yeah. From a midwife's perspective, if you're healthy enough to get pregnant and and hold a pregnancy to term, um, then you are healthy enough to have a home birth. There's no reason. So that was the easy one you said. Um, I like this. Even though we said we weren't going to talk about VBACs, it's, um, it's funny. What considers you a good candidate for a VBAC? What did I write? Pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't have much time to do answers. Like I had 12 minutes to like do answers for this thing. So yeah, what considers you a good candidate to be VBAC? Um, that you want to try a vaginal alert after you've had a C-section. I mean, there's really no contraindication to doing a VBAC if you've had a single low transfer cesarean section. Yeah, they talk about short intervals and that kind of stuff, but we'll talk about that more in detail with some um, with some studies when we do our next. Podcast. Yeah, and a short interval is is a reason to give you counseling, but it's not a reason to exclude you. It is a reason why yes, doctors who are resistant to VBAC will find a reason to exclude you. But I don't really know any reason. Uh, you know, if you've had a if your first C section was a classical C section, that may be not a good idea, but. But other than that, I don't know why you shouldn't attempt to go back, right? Great. Is there any way to prevent jaundice or blood sugar issues in a small but full-term baby? Well, baby, small babies are not born jaundice generally. Not, they get jaundice, they're more likely to be jaundice probably because they're more volume depleted. So yeah, you want to frequently feed them. You want to give them um, lots of sunlight. You theoretically, in our practice, we have portable billy lights. So if you anticipate jaundice, um, there's an ABO incompatibility between mom and baby's blood type or whatever, you can uh, start them prophylactically on the billy lights. Mm -hmm. uh, blood sugar, also the same thing. If you have a very small baby or you anticipate having a, uh, the, the baby's slightly growth restricted and you're gonna do this at home, you could have, uh, well, you do frequent feeds, but obviously your milk doesn't come in for two or three days. So you might have uh, frozen donor milk in the fr fridge and do the supplemental nursing system. Yeah. Is that where, is that where my mind was going? Is that where your mind was going? You asked me if that's where your mind was going. I, I can't you, tell I might, you. I'm, today I was like. Um, we've talked about this before on the podcast. There's physiologic jaundice and there's pathologic jaundice. And a lot of times people get really freaked out about physiologic jaundice. So most babies are going to look a little yellow. It's a process of breaking down the extra red blood cells that they have. And there's, as long as a baby is feeding well and is not lethargic and is thriving, it's not something to really do anything above and beyond feeding your baby, which is a feed frequently, which I would tell you anyways, offer the breast, give the, let the baby nurse and suckle whenever it's interested. Um, so, and we, I almost always, I can't imagine an exception, um, have people make sure they open the windows during the day, make sure the baby gets some sunlight. Mm -hmm. That's just normal. Um, so as long as the baby is not lethargic, is nursing well, is eliminating well, that's the other thing, then this is just going to be a physiologic process. Um, when we start to get concerned about a baby that's quite yellow, um, has yellow eyes, isn't nursing well, isn't eliminating well, then there, there are additional things that we need to do. But you can be pre preventive it by um, having donor milk if you're concerned. 
um, and then also having Billy Lights on board for special circumstances. Yeah, I mean, if you've had previous children that had, were extremely jaundiced. Or incompatibility. Or that sort of thing, and mm -hmm. you anticipate that that's going to happen, mm -hmm. or your babies are a bit premature in my practice. I mean, I can deliver babies at 35, 35 and a half weeks. They're slightly more likely to do it. Yeah, then we just leave the Billy Rights lights at their own. Are we done with this one? Maybe. Oh. Mm -hmm. I know you want to crumple it. I want to crumple it up. Mm -hmm. It's fun. <laughs> um, oh, this is cute. I'd like to more, know more about your loved ones. Well, they're, they're running around here someplace. <laughs> <laughs> I guess she's talking about his kitty. Uh, your family? Somebody, okay. somebody, by the way, asked about, um, well, they asked about what about RH incompatibility? With but that's, that's another topic. I think we're going to actually do that. That's, we'll talk about Rogan. We'll talk about all right, sensitivity at another time. My it's a big topic. Well, I, I guess with my loved ones, they they that's a broad category. If they're talking about my family, my family is great. You want to name your children and their ages? Yeah, I can do that. Actually. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I have three stepsons. My oldest is Max. He's thirty-two, and he's engaged. And then I have twins, Alex and Andy. They're twenty-nine, and then I have my daughter, who Madeline, who's twenty-five. And they all live in Southern California. They're all working. They're all healthy. Um, and uh, then my most of my major family or my, my birth family is back in Minnesota, but now sort of scattered all over the country as, as families tend to do. But uh, I have one sister who I love dearly. She's back in Minnesota. Both my parents have passed away. And uh, so that's, I guess, when I have two horses. Yeah. And I love them too. You do love them too. I do. Um, I'm the mother of three children. You guys know that my lovely, beautiful Sky is an angel in heaven. Um, and then I have two boys. Sky would have been 21 this year. Um, Jordan is going to be 30 I in know. April. I know. Um, and then Grant just graduated from high school. He's 18 and adorable as all get out. Um, They're both in Sacramento living together. And um, I have a lot of family in Northern California, which is why I'm considering relocating there. Um, I have family in Iowa and um, my mom and dad are both alive. My mom is in Northern California and my dad lives in Glendale. And I have uh, a dog named Zoe, who I love very much. And, and then you know what? My community here. Yeah. I can't name them all. No. But you know, I, I love them as deeply as probably just about anything else, except maybe my kids. Yeah. But I do. Oh, yeah. This one, <laughs> this one too. I mean, so, so yeah. Um, in that way, life is very rewarding and, and, and rich, right? Yeah, our community right. is pretty awesome. Um, Neither one of us has a significant other at this time. Right? No, right. but we have. We have. Um, okay. Is ICP a contraindication for home birth? No. ICP is intrahepatic cholestasis of pregnancy. It is not a contraindication to home birth. And as a matter of fact, it's often uh, another fear-based thing when people get itchy earlier in their pregnancy, like 32 weeks, and they run a, a serum bile salt test and it comes back above 10, which is upper limits of normal. People get all excited about it because there's an increased risk of stillbirth, supposedly. But again, it's a it's a it's a mistake to how they use the numbers because the stillbirth rate rises only when the in the bile salt level is really high, like over a hundred. And 
but a lot of doctors don't know that. A lot of doctors don't even care. If you're itchy, they're going to want to get you delivered or induced. If you're only 32 weeks, there's medication you can use to buy time because obviously you want to get, you want to risk of stillbirth, which is very small versus the risk of prematurity. So you want to buy some time for that. So you, let, you use the medication to get to that point. But if you have somebody that's at 37, 38, 39 weeks that has this itching and it's not driving her crazy to the point where she demands to be delivered, or it's not a level that's worrisome, you can just buy some time. You can wait for labor or you can use some of the cauldron stuff that I like to say that midwives sometimes do um, about trying to get a woman into labor, but it's not a contraindication to being delivered at home. It's not related to preeclampsia. It's not related to hypertension in pregnancy. It's a separate thing. Um, if her numbers are not in control or, you know, they're, um, yeah, they're too high, um, as a midwife, it's contraindicated to keep her in care. There are- How, how high is too high? I don't know the numbers, so you're okay. much better with Well, that. The, the risky number is listed as about 100, but some people used to, to use 40, they used to use 40, but there's really no data to support that there's a rate. And by the way, when they talk about an increased risk of stillbirth, remember what we always say on the podcast, an increased rate doesn't mean anything unless you know what the denominator is, because twice a very small number is still a very small number. And so if the risk is still very small, you have to then weigh that against the risk of being induced at a hospital when you were planning a home birth. And, and what are the, what does that outcome look yeah, like? Yeah, but you don't have the same parameters that we do. There are certain things that are deemed out of our scope. And someone who is diagnosed with cholestasis would be considered someone who should be managed by a doctor. <sighs> So if I have Stu on the board, then that's, you know, he can help do co-care. But um, for a midwife who's around the country, it, it would be contraindicated. There are things that you can do to try and- Can you co-manage it with, a, with an OB? With you, I don't know any other OB who would- co Well, maybe other parts that. of the country. Might yeah, maybe, right. maybe if you have, if you have a doctor who's supportive in your practice and you know that you can, you know, do it in a way that, that, um, everyone feels comfortable with, that might be true, but you can do liver support. Um, with acupuncture, herbs, I'm not going to get into specifics right now, but you can do liver support to see if you can get that stuff under control. It would be the same as if we were doing something having to do with um, high blood pressure and preeclampsia. There's a lot of the same remedies that we would use. Yeah. And we also have in Southern California, we're lucky now because we have Dr. Flores too. So we have actually two doctors who, who, might who could help, could, mm -hmm. could collaborate with care to, to, um, because again, it's not something that is as frightening as it's been made out to be um, by the medicalized medical profession. Yeah. <laughs> How can I know if a provider is competent to deliver a breech baby in a non-hospital setting? How, how, how could- Well, that's an interesting question because if you, I mean, you're talking mainly about a midwife. There's very few of me. So let's not talk about me. You're talking about a midwife who does breach delivery. Which can't be done in California, but other states. Right, in other yeah. states, they can do that. How do you know if they're competent? Um, you have to rely on them. It's, kind of, it's like when you go to an OB and you ask him what his C-section rate is. You know, if, if it's 80%, he's not going to tell you that it's 80%. What are some questions that they could ask a, a potential provider to be able to deem? If you're assuming that they're trustworthy, you could ask them how many have they done? What kind of training have they had? Um, have you had any outcomes that weren't great? Um, if you've done a lot, you're going to have some that aren't great. Um, 
It's a good, it's a, it's a good question. I think, I think that everybody has to do their first or second or third or fourth breach delivery at some point. Mm -hmm. So it also goes with the confidence of the provider. Have they taken a course? Like if they've taken my course or Rix's course and they feel like, and they maybe had one or two surprise breaches and done great with that, then, you know, that doesn't make them an expert. But if your only choice otherwise is to have a C-section in a hospital, then you have to weigh all these things and decide for yourself what's, what's but, but if, a, if a midwife is willing to support you with a breech birth, they're probably okay with it. And I, again, I don't know, there's no registry, there's no way to, to know that. And I, and I don't want one either. I don't want to start saying, well, I'm going to, Stu Fishbein's going to start or, or, Stamp of approval. or, or somebody like Rixa is going to start having a, a registry where they start charging people to be on the registry so that they can get certified to be a breach practitioner. That the more, the more you start doing that sort of thing, the more it just leads down to this rabbit hole. Yeah. Then people would at least know. You got to trust your instincts. I think that's true. Um, the thing people to know. People would at least know what? That, that, that they've had some training. Yeah. You know what? I mean, just because somebody has is board certified doesn't mean they're a good doctor. It's true. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And what do they call someone who graduates last in medical school? <laughs> I don't know. Doctor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> This is, so, got it. <laughs> yeah. So having a certification doesn't necessarily mean you're good at anything. So you have to trust your instincts. And the thing to remember is that the statistics are on your side. Breach is a variation of normal. So most of the time, how do you handle a breach delivery? It's hands off. Leave it alone. What Stu is talking about when he said, how do you pick a good, you know, how do you decide who you should um, use as a breach practitioner as skills? That's for those small times, those small chances that something goes wrong in terms of how the baby is rotating. And it's the same with a head down baby. Most of the time, midwives are not going to have to do anything. Every once in a while, we're going to have a baby who's got a shoulder dystocia because that baby doesn't do a full rotation. And we have to have the skill sets to understand how to help that baby get out. It's the same with breach. You have to know what normal looks like and you have to know what can I try if the baby doesn't do a normal rotation. But those times that we need those skills are very small. So that's the other thing to really consider is there are people who actually do pre-birth when they know that they have a breach. Yeah, and the other thing too, I would say about skills is actually it, it, it takes skill to know when not to do anything. It does, because most of the time. Pe people who don't know anything about breach will often, the baby's out of part way, they'll put their hands on the baby, they'll start to rotate the baby, they'll start to like tug on the baby or do something because they don't know what they're doing. So. There is a skill in knowing now, in knowing when to do nothing. Absolutely. Right. Most of the time. Right. Don't do anything. We have to talk about our, one of our top favorite subjects. You know what it is. Boobies. <laughs> yeah. Tell us, tell us a little bit about our, another partner of ours is Bamboobies. And uh, so tell us, because you're the, you're the product expert. I'm just the uh, spokesperson. <laughs> Bamboobies is a bamboo-based company, which is a renewable uh, resource. Um, and if you're wanting to do things that help the environment, you want to use products that are reusable. And so they've, they've definitely expanded their line since we had them at the sanctuary. But my all-time favorite is their... Um, reusable bamboo nursing pads. They're soft, then they have this beautiful heart shape, which makes it um, 
so that you can't really see them through your clothing. So um, it was one of the things that Alex and I chose for our eco boutique that we loved so much. And now they have all these amazing tees and uh, nursing bras, a salve too, right, Stu? Do they, yeah, have well, they, have, they have the organic nipple balm, which is- Nipple um, balm. Yeah, mm -hmm. which has like natural ingredients, like has extra virgin olive oil, beeswax, shea butter, marshmallow yeah. root. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> <laughs> and candle and can uh, calendula flower not sure what that is but calendula it's good for healing oh mm -hmm. see all right calendula and i learned a new word no la mm -hmm. no lanolin parabens other synthetic fragrances or or and it's not tested on animals right it's, so the company important. you know you can go and they, their code uh gives you 40 percent off 40 percent which is amazing. So you yeah. can go and check them out and know that they're a good company and anything that you buy from them has been vetted and is really good for the environment and for yourself and for your baby. Yep, so go to bamboobies.com and use the code INSTINCTS, I-N-S-T-I-N-C-T-S. Everybody knows how to spell instincts by now. If you don't, <laughs> shame on you. And go to, and you get 40% off your purchase. So bamboobies.com, uh, promo code INSTINCTS. Yeah, and when you support our sponsors and use our codes, then they know that this is making a difference and people will continue to sponsor and we can continue to give great information. Do multiple membrane sweeps ripen the cervix for a faster first stage? You can answer that one first. Can you read my face? Well, can you read what I, my comment? <laughs> I can't read your writing. I said not a, I'm not a fan. Oh, not a fan. I thought it said pan. No, not a, not a fan. <laughs> no, why Why are you doing that? I mean, I understand in our world here in California why a midwife might do a sweep at 41 weeks and five days because they've got essentially 48 hours to get the baby into labor before they have yeah. to abandon them, Yeah, which is Dumb. abhorrent. But um, in general, we don't do vaginal exams. So... Prior to labor. Prior to labor. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure why we would be doing membrane sweeps to shorten the first, they said to shorten the first stage. Yeah. Make it for a faster first stage. I don't, I've not heard that and it's all uncomfortable. I guess, you know, the riper of the cervix, I suppose the, the shorter the first stage might be. That's logical, but. I'm going to tell you a little secret about me. I actually really love doing vaginal exams. You do? I do. I don't do them very often because I don't believe in them, but <laughs> don't go weird on me. No, there's something so cool about feeling the cervix and the baby's head and that whole relationship. I think it's, I feel so honored and privileged that I have that skill and I know how to do that. And when it's actually helpful, I very rarely do that. Well, you know what, I, I oh, go ahead. Why I'm telling you that mm -hmm. little secret about me is because I have seen you know, in my training and, and before I, before I really came to the conclusions that I have now about really leaving things alone is you can, you can stretch a cervix, you can sweep a cervix, you can do all kinds of things to manipulate a cervix. And they actually don't usually stay that way. There's usually some, it's the same thing when you modify labor with herbs and stuff like that, you'll get these fake contractions that start to go and you're like, okay, things are going but the body doesn't always necessarily yeah, kick in true. until it's really ready. So you're messing with something, you're messing with your head, you're doing all these things that ultimately 
I haven't seen a very clear indication from my personal experience that it makes a difference. So that's what I want to say. Okay. Nothing to add. All right. It's not no. often I get stupid. Nothing to add. No, it's not. <laughs> What's the latest on your person idea? Zilch. Stu says zilch. Yeah, yeah. Um, unless I get a grant from some multimillionaire and puts me in complete charge of everything <laughs> with no lawyers and no risk managers and no administrators, I don't think that's going to happen because I don't think I can work in the world that has that's dominated by those three types of people. Yeah. Right. So I am going to mention, I'm going to do a shout out for this question down to birth show. I like your show and I like you guys and what you're doing. So I'm just going to do a little shout out for that. Um, should IVF pregnancies be considered high risk? Why or why not? Thanks. The deep TV show. I just want to read that on that note. Uh, let's see. Deva Devon McKnight says on the note, I was induced with a Foley bulb last Tuesday was six centimeters when I left the hospital, still pregnant. I'm three centimeters a week later. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Oh, I'm surprised. Sweet. I'm surprised you got you, you. They let you leave the hospital. Yeah, there's more that. of a story to that. Yeah, but, uh, some other time. Hang in there. Be patient. I hope that I hope that everything's going well, and that they were just trying to rush you, and you're doing just. Yeah, fine. I hope they were just meddling for no reason. Okay. <laughs> What do you think about IVFs being a uh, high risk? Well, they're labeled high risk um, because there are certain things that can happen in IVF pregnancies, but unless they happen, they're not any different that I've found. I just, I haven't. I mean, I, the IVF pregnancies, sometimes they say you're more likely to have preterm labor, you're more likely to have placental implantation problem or even potentially um, retained placental type problems. You're more like, because for whatever reason. I don't yeah, but know. you would know that ahead of time. Those are things that you would know. Well, not retained placenta, you wouldn't know that ahead of no, time. No, no, but, no, no, I'm sorry, yeah. But, it, but it's not something that I would ever exclude somebody from the option of having a home birth simply because they were IVF. Yeah. And then I've heard this thing a million times where, where because you had IVF, this is a premium pregnancy. Yeah. You've heard that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. And some as if, as if, because you conceive naturally, it's not a premium pregnancy. Right, and I think, I think with with um, women who are who conceive through IVF, a lot of times will go in two different directions. They'll either feel that way, like I don't want to do anything. I want to go totally the medical route and just make sure I do everything to protect this pregnancy, this baby. And then there are people who are like, oh my God, it took so much to get pregnant medically that I just want to be able to right. trust my body and go through the experience of having this baby naturally. Um, I usually don't talk to IVF women about this, but as a provider, I would say that I'm always a little more aware that the fact that that pregnancy needed support, kind of what I was saying earlier about um, if you're, you're healthy enough and vital enough to get pregnant and hold a pregnancy, then there's no reason why you couldn't have a home birth. But with IVF, things were kind of usurped and interrupted mm -hmm. in that process. So sometimes what we see is that labor doesn't progress or start normally. And I don't yeah. talk to IVF women who come in about that necessarily because I don't want to put that in their head. Um, but it's just something that I'm kind of aware of 
um, as we're laboring or getting closer to. Yeah. And, and as you know, if you watch the podcast, if you're a fan, you know, we don't like labeling people as high risk. No, everybody deserves a trial of labor. Right. They believe they need people to believe in them. The mental health, the mental, not health, but the mental stuff, as Stu said. Right, mental stuff, right. Yeah, it's right. part of them laboring. You're presetting not- somebody to be worrying when you label them high risk. And then the whole neurotransmitter thing, the whole epigenetics thing is all altered simply because like in the movie Inception, I use it all the time. They tell you, don't think about elephants. And of course, what do you think about? Elephants. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this little ditzel that we see on the ultrasound, your baby's perfect, but there's this little ditzel here. We'll have you come back in six weeks and look at it. It's like, it's a little ditzel. It means nothing. So why are you telling her you're going to have her come back in six weeks other than either you're insecure as the maternal fetal management or it's more revenue for you because for the next six weeks, the woman is going to, even though you told her everything's fine, she knows she has to come back in six weeks. A lot of women, not every woman, but a lot of women are going to be thinking, you see something wrong with my heart and is he not telling me? Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. And every birth and every woman and every baby is unique. So we just got to wait to see what happens. Right? Right. Okay. If uh, the first baby was breached, what is the likelihood of subsequent babies being breached? You know, I think it's some small number, like 3%. Um, it might be as high as, it's. I'm not, I, you know, it's really interesting. My brain is really interesting. Uh, <laughs> yes. I don't remember a lot. Sometimes like uh, somebody introduced me to somebody, I forget their name, like in four seconds. I don't, but I don't remember that. But I have this file in the back of my brain. I don't know what, what's it called. Um, in Sherlock Holmes, he has this mind. It's a God, you wouldn't know it because you don't watch that stuff. Um, mind palace. Uh-huh. It's a mind palace. And I do have a mind palace for numbers. Mm-hmm. And something in my head says that if you've had one breech baby, the second chance of having a breech baby is 3%. Right. Mm-hmm. Now it's probably higher if the reason you had a breech baby was is that you have a bicornate or a funny shaped uterus. But in general, if you don't have that, that's it. So it's not like it's 25% or 50% in a subsequent pregnancy because you had a breech baby. Yeah. And that's all I'll say. There you go. Um, thoughts on Rogan shot and whooping cough shots at 28 weeks. Love your show, by the way. Oh, that's very sweet. Thank you. AK Mountain Girl Baxter. That's why I don't read them. I know it's too long. <laughs> it's too long. You gotta get short. Um, so I'm wondering in this question if, if they're talking about getting them together, if that's the concern or just I think she's just talking about getting because by the way, why 28 weeks? I guess because that's the beginning of the third trimester, but but um if they're worried, see here's the thing. Here's the, here's my thinking. If the Tdap shot is good for you or the flu shot is good for you as a pregnant woman, right? Did, are they giving it to you at 28 weeks because they think that you, your peak antibodies will be at the time the baby's born and you'll be protecting the baby with your antibodies going through the milk? Or are they giving it to you because they don't want to injure your baby for 28 weeks? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Why do they pick that? If it's good for you to protect you from the flu, why are they waiting till 28 weeks to do it? Mm-hmm. Why don't they give it to you at 12 weeks, 13 weeks, six weeks, whatever? So. Again, when it comes to these numbers, I'm always wondering, I have this thing again for numbers. I wonder why they come up with these certain numbers and why Rogam 
why they wait for 28 weeks to rogam. I think that's because rogam will usually last three or four months, maybe five months. So they want to give it because the most likely time you're going to have a maternal fetal bleed that's going to be big enough to cause a problem is going to be in that last trimester when the baby has more blood. So giving rogam. I, again, I've, I've, I backed off my, my rigid stance that I've always had about these things because that's the way I learned things and found that Rogam is an informed consent option. The risk of getting sensitized is very small. If you get sensitized in that pregnancy, it's probably not going to affect your current fetus. It may affect all your future fetuses and it may make you ineligible to be a donor of blood down the road if you want to do a Red Cross drive or something like that. But a lot of women don't want to take it. Okay. More, more, when I started giving informed consent, more and more women are sort of backing off. So I would be chastised by the medical board or by the ACOG for giving people informed consent that didn't get them to do what, they, what the ACOG wants them to do. Right. But when you think about it, the chance of being sensitized is small. If this is your last child, you know, why get it? On the other hand, is there a downside to getting, is there anything in there that's detrimental? Well, it's a... It's an artificial product. It's made, you it's know, a blood product. Yeah. Some people don't want to do blood. Yeah, products. it's a blood product, and it's mm -hmm. also got some uh, things in it that have to, you know, preservatives or whatever else they have in it. It doesn't have aluminum or it doesn't have mercury in it, but it's got stuff in it. So why why get it? Um, so my thoughts about the Rogam shot are, you know, that's a plus or minus thing. My shot's about the whooping cough shot and stuff like that. It's, I personally advise against it if people ask me my opinion. Yeah, I think both of us generally say that we there's no real studies um, for vaccine safety um, in pregnancy. And the risk of yeah. your baby catching whooping cough. By the way, I heard a good I heard a good example about this the other day. I heard, you know, if a, if if a, you have a two month baby at home and say you didn't get the DTAP shot, the Tdap, it's the Tdap shot. Excuse me, because it's tetanus first. It's mm -hmm. it's the booster. If you didn't get the Tdap shot at 28 weeks and say you're two months old, you have other kids and your other kids go to school and the other kids are all vaccinated because they've gotten their vaccines for the Dtap vaccine. Does the Dtap vaccine pre prevent the person who's been vaccinated from transmitting pertussis? The answer is no. Mm -hmm. Just like the COVID vaccine doesn't prevent transmission of COVID. Dtap, uh, uh, I don't think RSV prevents transmission either for respiratory syncytial virus. They don't prevent transmission. So, so what happens is, is your, your kid goes to school, your kid gets exposed to pertussis, but your kid doesn't get sick because it's got the vaccine, which works uh, in that case. And, um, but then the baby who hasn't had any vaccines yet gets sick, gets whoopee cough. And so who do they blame? They blame the nanny or they blame uh, the guy at the grocery store or somebody else who walked in who wasn't vaccinated when it really wasn't the unvaccinated person that spread whooping cough to your baby. It was the vaccinated person. Mm -hmm. So. I don't, I think that the risks of, of whooping cough, the baby, obviously if to get it, it could be very severe. Most of the time it's not. In a little baby, it's really severe. It could, yeah, it could be severe, and but most of the time it's still not. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, there's unknown risks to, um, to getting vaccinated for the flu or for uh, Tdap in pregnancy. So why would people who don't wanna have secondhand smoke blown in their face, or are upset to be very careful about what they're eating are gonna inject this into their body. I just don't get it. Same thing goes with the ACOG's got recommendation for all pregnant women and breastfeeding women to get the booster shot now too. I mean, it's just, it's nuts to me. Not so. You can crumple that up if you want. Ooh. 
But <laughs> Kobe's asleep next to you. It's, or that's it's the little joys in life. Um, I liked this question. Uh, how many home births end in transfer? Well, in, in uh, my experience in Southern California, about 20% of primips, yours is less. Mm-hmm. You 10, said 10%. 10 to 15. But about, in my, I have a, like a little higher level of care practice. Mm-hmm. So about 20% of primips end up in transport, less than 1% of multips end up in transport. Yeah, uh, less than 1% of multips, I would, I would agree with that. Right. All the right. most common reason for transport in my practice is going to be stalled labor, uh, maternal exhaustion, pain, but not, not so much pain. We actually, that isn't true. But maternal exhaustion uh, or labor stalling out is the most common reasons. I don't really, haven't transferred anybody for uh, excessive bleeding or fever or fetal heart rate abnormality in a really long time. Yeah, right. that's good. Can I crunch this one up? Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Can it be harder to conceive while nursing? Sure. Cycle back five months ago. Yeah. Why was why is it harder to conceive when you're nursing? Why are you, why are you asking me that? Oh, because you just asked me the question. <laughs> but you answered it, and then you asked me. Well, but I'm wondering, do you know why it's harder to conceive while you're nursing? Well, because you're I mean, I don't, doing, I don't, you're not doing something that you need to in order to conceive. You're not ovulating, but not always. No, but it's harder. It is harder. Right. Because yeah. most women in the first five months breastfeeding are not going to be ovulating. Yeah. Some women will. That's how you get Irish twins. Stuff it's like that. not birth control. Yes. It's not birth control. Just so don't. But use most women will control. not ovulate. And if you're not ovulating, obviously you can't get pregnant. Yeah. And you won't know if you're ovulating until you have your first cycle, right? Right. Because, because you can't use the rhythm method when, until you have a rhythm. Right. Or okay. you know, yeah, fertility awareness method. Right. So, um, you know, the body is really smart. This goes back to like nature's design. So most of the time your body knows that it doesn't want to have another baby until this baby is sufficient. Like, like on its own stable. It's not, you don't have to nurse it anymore. Right. So most of the time your body knows. And again, going back to the ability to get pregnant is when you're at your highest vitality. So if your body is depleted, it's not going to want to get pregnant. It's like its way of sustaining itself. So I would say, trust your body on this one. Maybe it's not really, you might think it's a good time to get pregnant and have another baby, but maybe your body is telling you that it's not really time yet for you to be able to have a healthy, vital pregnancy. And that doesn't necessarily mean that um, that you couldn't sustain the pregnancy or that the baby would be in jeopardy. It just means that it's, it's very depleting on your system to sustain pregnancy and to nurse. And so your body might be telling you that it just needs more time to replenish itself. Right. Yeah, right. So I just want to give everybody an alert. We have about eight minutes. Okay. Thoughts on GDM. Good, good use of our time right there. <laughs> Thoughts on GDM and home birth. You guys don't like my singing? Um, we love your singing. Thoughts on GDM and home birth. Had it last pregnancy and was told no home birth because of it. Well, that's again, gets possibly back to the guidelines that midwives are under. Because 
gestational diabetes that's well controlled is not a contraindication to birthing anywhere you want. Right. Right. Yeah, we did a whole um, podcast about that uh, maybe a month or so ago. So you could go back. Uh, it's probably more than a month now. Yeah. Okay. But we did we did a whole podcast on it. So you could go back and look at, we talked very specifically about all of that. So um, that would be a good one if you're really interested um, to go back and, and uh, look that up. But um, there's no reason to prevent, uh, be more proactive in preventing it showing up for your second pregnancy or your subsequent pregnancy right. if you're wanting to have a Yeah, gestational diabetes in, in, in my practice and in the midwives I work with practice is really rare. Mm -hmm. It was a lot more common in the medical the medical model. Now maybe it's the clientele. It's hard to know. We deal with a you know a, a, a West Side clientele over here. Yeah. So who knows? But um, again, if you're well controlled, it's not a problem. And even if your control is a little bit out of whack, all the labor is still the labor. So having the baby at home, just being prepared, like we talked about in the podcast about having frozen donor milk in case the baby's hypoglycemic. But nowadays with women. Mostly gestational diabetics aren't going to be having insulin pumps and they're not going to be um, um, having in, built in insulin monitors, but a lot of type one diabetics do. And you get immediate feedback and you can dial up and dial down their insulin because you know what their blood sugar is right off the bat. So, okay. Okay. I like these from Doula Jean. Uh, <clears throat> would you ever push a cervix over a baby head, a baby's head? Baby. It's, she, she said baby, but <laughs> it's baby's head. From seven-ish to a ten, with a. It depends on it depends emoji. on the reason why. Most of the time, I would never know someone is seven because I wouldn't have done a vaginal exam. So I'm assuming you're doing a vaginal exam at seven because there's something going on, right? Why else would we do a vaginal exam? Yeah, but okay. how do you feel about pushing the cervix over? I feel like it, I feel like especially in a multip, if there's a problem with the baby's heart rate mm -hmm. or she's can't control the urge to push. And she's bearing down on a seven centimeter cervix, and the cervix is starting to get swollen. That, you know, I have longer fingers, and I have done that many, many times. I liken it to the to maybe trying to put on a really tight turtleneck, and you're pulling it, and it's stuck on your head right here. It's just stuck here, and all you're trying to do is when she's pushing, you're trying to shove the rest of the turtleneck because once it gets beyond this point, it's not coming back. Mm -hmm. And so the only but the reason to do that is if there's a sense of urgency to get the baby out or the, the woman cannot stop bearing down on her cervix. Yeah, so I agree with uh, if there's an urgency um, and you wanna try that as an option for me. Especially in a multip, in, in prime if it's not gonna work as well. For me, I think it's probably done a little bit too much. I've, I've heard of it a little bit too much about um, pushing a, a lip over the head or something like that. I really trust the body. I've also um, a lip, yeah, a lip happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. I've um, also cared for a woman who, in a previous home birth, had um, that ha like you know she felt like she really needed to have the baby, and so they pushed the cervix over the baby's head, and then they had a shoulder dystocia. So I really believe that we need to leave things alone as much as possible um, and really coach her in another way to support her during that time rather than trying to rush a process that maybe could cause another complication. So I think in an urgent situation where we're having, we're trying to get the baby out as quickly as possible, then um, that might be a good indication. But other than that, I would say 
let nature do its thing. Um, thoughts on internal, in, internal, 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 I like turtles. <laughs> I do. we have four minutes. Um, thoughts on internal fetal monitoring. I don't like it, but. Well, we don't ever use it. So no, but the they're home, talking about hospital. In the home birthing. From your. I, I, you know, I, I find a really rare indication for ever using it. So I think a lot of times it's done for convenience. Because, because they're so into continuous fetal monitoring as opposed to intermittent monitoring that they have to have a heart rate tracing. And some women want, are moving too much, which is not too much, but they think they're moving too much or body habitus is such that it's very hard to monitor the baby. Um, they wanna, they'll put an electrode on because you're already immobilized anyway. You've already got your epidural, they'll do that. And the, you know, first of all, if you ever looked at the thing, it's kind of brutal. It is kind of brutal. Right. It gets screwed into their head. Yeah. Yeah. It gets to their skin. But it, but it's, yeah, it's, it, it hurts. I'm sure it hurts. Try screwing it into your arm. You know, the right. other thing I'm not a fan of, breaking the bag of water and then telling them that they need more water in there. That makes me crazy. Oh, because they get variables after they broke the bag of waters and now they're going to do an amnion infusion? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's right. like, can we just leave these people alone? Um, Last one, let's talk fungal massage. <laughs> oh, you mean postpartum? Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> For some reason I'm thinking, why would you massage someone's fundus? But that, I, yeah, okay, I'm sorry. It's, I, I, I'm sorry, why, why would you do that? I mean, I like back massage, <laughs> neck massage. Neck massage is really good. There so. is something called Mayan abdominal massage. Okay, yeah. so I like my abdominal massage yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Fundamental postpartum. Um, well, I'm a big fan of not having a postpartum hemorrhage. So <laughs> I probably am more Especially aggressive. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm probably more aggressive than most of the midwives I work with. And it's not so much the fundal massage part that I that I'm aggressive about. It's the vaginal, it's the two fingers in the vagina to lower to get the clots out of the lower uterine segment. Because a lot of times you'll do fundal massage or you'll just check the fundus, so it'll be rock hard. And it'll be one centimeter bowl of malica, so you think you're great. And then she stands up or all of a sudden, you know, she's bleeding or she's feeling lightheaded and you put your hand and you milk out 800 cc's of clot, mm -hmm. even though the fundus was firm. It's the lower uterine segment that was blowing up with blood. So in combination, I'm, I'm a fan, but I, I'm a fan of informed consent, obviously. And I just, I wouldn't do it without asking permission first to do it. Yeah. And if I've ever done it to somebody, I'm seeking absolution from them because I didn't mean to do it. But um, yeah, so what's your take on it? I have 35 seconds remaining on my thing. Um, will it, will it shut off by itself? Is that yeah, how it works? Nothing oh. should be done every single time besides being loving and supportive. So I believe that we, we do it more than we probably should. I don't think it has to be done every time. I think having the woman do it, showing her where her uterus is, how it should feel and helping her do it um, is what I would prefer to do across the board rather than doing a fungal massage every single time. And we're off. <laughs> no, but we know it, we're still on. Yes. So people who have... Are gonna, or listen to our podcast are going to still be able to catch you saying bye-bye <laughs> no 
So, I mean, that's how I feel about it. I think, I think we probably do it a lot more than we need to. And I think that it, it's done pretty aggressively for, to somebody who's just had a baby. If we're having bleeding, if we have a boggy uterus, these are different situations, but every single Routine. time, routinely, I don't. Well, it's like routinely without even asking, they put Pitocin in their IV. Right. Without asking. Right. Right. But I'm talking to us as home birth providers. I don't think we need to do it every single time. I mean, let's go back. I, 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 I can't disagree with that because nothing needs to be done every single right. time. Right, let's go back nothing, to our philosophy. Nothing is always or never. The birth, if, a, if a woman is, in, is designed to deliver her baby with no one around, and we say all these things about- we That's would be true. Born, we would be born with a bulb syringe if, if we needed to suction every That's true. It's probably a remnant of, of my, my anxiety, not some anxiety, my remnant of, of feeling of being responsible for someone and not wanting them to have excess blood loss, which is slows their recovery, can decrease breast milk production, it can do all kinds of stuff. So, you know, and I never, ever, ever want to see a woman go through all that work, have that beautiful home birth, and then the baby having to be transferred for a postpartum hemorrhage. No, yeah, nobody does. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, that's probably one place where I could be a little less aggressive. Oh, good. I don't know that I will. <laughs> Starting I, in the new I year. Am, I am an old dog. I am an old dog, so it's... Like, You've learned a lot of new tricks. Yeah, yeah, I have. Mm -hmm. I have. Anyway, it was so great to uh, be here next to you. That was fun. We didn't get through all the questions. Yeah, but I knew we, we were. Would. We were going to get. We were. She, we, she was going to get here a half hour early. We were going to have time to like, catch up and do stuff. I got here twenty minutes before we started. She got here ten minutes before we started, and we got it done anyway. Because you and I never have things we can't talk about. Oh yeah, we could go on for two hours. We could. So we could. So I'm hoping. By the way, uh, obviously, if you are seeing this podcast, we're about here. It's few. It's it's already January. <laughs> All right, this is before Christmas, but it's already January. But please go back and listen to the podcast about uh, grief. And then the one we did about twins. And then we have one with Stephanie Dawn coming up that will have already played, obviously, by now. Mm -hmm. And then I have a couple of podcasts we're going to squeeze in there where I was interviewed by other people from, uh, from Aaron from uh, Better Birth UK and Sally Ann from, um, I can't remember the name. She got a long, long name to her podcast about uh, birth partners so mm -hmm. right and then uh yeah so everybody hope you had a merry christmas i hope you had a happy new year me too god i hope 2022 is a better year than 2021 was don't you yeah can only go up from here <laughs> right. right i was thinking about what you said in one of the podcasts about how when you're with your family it's, things aren't the same yeah they just aren't mm -hmm. everything's different and the conversation I don't know that there's, at least in, in my world, there's ever a conversation where it doesn't, somehow doesn't get back to some sort of tyrannical thing that's going on someplace. We never used to talk about that stuff, right? But now it's, you know, we're going to meet for dinner. Well, where can we go? Because, you know, I don't, my, my, I don't have my PCR test with me or whatever else, that sort of thing. Who thought of that sort of thing? Got to get out of LA. Right. Got to get out of LA. Got to get out of LA. Yeah. Okay. So everybody, um, Again, thanks for listening. We're going to try to do this uh, next time we see each other, which isn't going to be that far apart. Wherever you are, I'm going to follow you because I'm going to come <laughs> up and visit you when I'm on hiatus. So Yeah, and uh, I'll be back for a week um, before the new year so we can do another one of these. 
Oh, good. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 